0: Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 to 10, Well, I'm reading from the New King James Version if you've got it on your Bible, uh, we can read along together. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain and when he was seated his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Today we're looking at Beatitude number two. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. When Matthew writes his gospel account, he writes predominantly for the Jewish readers. And as you read through the gospel of Matthew, Matthew makes every effort to reveal to his audience this new life that is found in Jesus. This theme of a new life that is embedded all throughout Matthew's account was actually already described in the Old Testament. And so Matthew writes in such a way to show the Jewish readers that the law, the prophets, the Old Testament that you hold so dear to you actually finds its fulfillment in Jesus. The problem that Matthew reveals to us throughout his writing is that the Jewish people of his day struggled to understand what Jesus was saying. They struggled to make sense of anything that Jesus was doing because Jesus interprets the law the prophets, the Old Testament, in a way that they did not expect. You see, the Jewish people of the day had gotten so caught up in the law this, the law that, the law this, the law that, that they ended up viewing the law as a sort of a prison. They viewed the law as something that they could could never achieve that ultimately leads to an uncertain end. They viewed the law as something that was supposed to restrict and control. But the law was the gracious provision of God that was meant to guide his creation to the fullest, most deepest, most intimate fellowship with God. The law was always intended to guide human beings into a deeper relationship with God and with others. It was not some kind of offense that was supposed to keep out life. It was supposed to keep out death. The law was not supposed to be an enemy of life. It was a description of life. So Jesus steps onto the scene. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so when Jesus is talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When Jesus is talking about, you've heard it said before, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you to not resist an evil person who ever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek. When Jesus is giving us all of these teachings and when Matthew has taken the time to pen down these teachings, To the Jewish audience who would have been so focused so narrowly on the law, they would have thought that Jesus was a bit of a menace for trying to introduce a new kind of a law. They thought that Jesus was a false teacher trying to lead everybody astray. And so in his writing, Matthew makes his perspective absolutely clear. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. All of its demands and its intended purposes finds its fulfillment in Jesus Jesus interprets the law, He interprets the prophets, He interprets the Old Testament to show that it points toward the same vibrant life that He brings. And so He strips off all of the jargon that man has applied to the law to reveal the law in its original beauty. Suddenly, the law, the prophets, the Old Testament, the Beatitudes, the teachings of Jesus they emerge as a description of the most deepest possible human experience of life with God, and with others. As we dive into the four beatitudes, there uh, into the beatitude today, there are four things that I want you to remember as we journey over the next six seven weeks. Number one, the beatitudes are a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, that doesn't mean that the kingdom of heaven is a location that we're all trying to get to. As Haley put last week, the kingdom of heaven is anywhere where the rule and the reign of Jesus is manifested. In other words, the Beatitudes then is the new life that you enjoy. It's what you're supposed to come out looking like now that you've accepted the invitation of Jesus to enter into the kingdom. It's not an eight steps formula of how you get into the kingdom. Your way into the kingdom of heaven is through Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes is simply how we live life now that we're part of the kingdom. Note then that the Beatitudes are addressed to every single person who calls himself a believer and a disciple of Jesus. Number two, the Beatitudes are counterculture. Because of the fall of man, we aren't born into this world just naturally poor in spirit. We aren't just born into this world, you know, and all all of a sudden we're immediately meek. We aren't just born into this world humble the Bible says that by nature we are born into this world, children of wrath. Now, because of that, the beatitudes are not normal to us. It goes against our human tendencies, it goes against our human urges, urges, and our human fleshly desires. So as we go through these beatitudes, if you start to feel a little bit like, mm, I'm not sure I live up to this description that you're giving us, or if you start to feel like I struggle with this beatitude, that's awesome. Car pie. you're in great company cause ain't nobody up in here got all of them beatitudes on lock. Just cause we look like we meek, just cause we sound like we hunger and thirst for righteousness, just cause we dress like we a peacemaker, don't necessarily mean we're there. So take the pressure off, come as you are, but just know that you're not gonna stay as you are. Number three, the beatitudes go together. We can't handle the beatitudes separate from one another. They must all go hand in hand. You can't say, I like this one and I don't like this one. They all feed into the other. And so when we read each of the individual Beatitudes, they must be read in light of all the Beatitudes. Fourth and finally, the Beatitudes, is gonna, they're going to make you look totally different to the entire world. The Beatitudes are going to make you look totally different to the world. The Beatitudes is the thing that's going to set the disciples apart from the multitudes. The beatitude is the thing that's going to uh, you're gonna be able to see the difference between those who just cheer the message and those who actually hear the message. The beatitudes are gonna set you apart from the rest of the world because everything about it screams counterculture. The beatitudes will make you look different to the rest of the world. Turn to the person next to you and say, Are you ready? Oh, put some conviction in it. Are you ready? Uh, When I was in intermediate school, um, I remember one day we're all lined up and we're getting ready to do nail inspection and socks inspection. It was a for real thing back in my intermediate school. And so we're lining up and we're getting ready. But then we get interrupted by this announcement that's coming through the intercom. One of our teachers had actually died from cancer. You could feel the atmosphere in the room just absolutely flip. It was charged with silence. It felt like a dark cloud had just hovered over the entire classroom. Everyone standing there in absolute shock, trying to process the fact that our teacher, one of our favorite teachers uh, that we all knew so well, this teacher who loved us like we were her own, this teacher who was passionate about, you know, South Auckland folk getting education, this teacher who was absolutely, who absolutely lit, lit up every room that she walked into, had actually passed away. And in preparation for her funeral, a bunch of us were um, asked to sing a song. And so at one of the rehearsals, uh, we're singing the song and then it comes to my part and I just break down and cry and I lose it. And now the whole class is like, all of us singers are like breaking down and, and cry. We can't even get a word in. And now I think about that and I realized that we were actually deeply impacted by the death of one of our teachers. And I realized that, that what we were all probably experiencing in the room at that time was the deep realization of what being separated from somebody in this life was like. We weren't gonna see her no more. We weren't gonna hear from her no more. But the saddest thing about it is that in the midst of our sorrow and our grief as little intermediate kids, one of the adults in the room had the nerve to say to us, why are you all crying? If you guys uh, want to do your teacher proud, you know, teacher that's passed away, if you wanna do her proud, then you can't be crying in the middle of your verse. You need to make sure that you don't crack during this song. Otherwise, you're going to kill it for everybody. If you feel that emotion bubble up, swallow it. And I felt like, excuse me, ma'am. Like, I'm going to express my sorrow and sit in it if I want to. Don't be robbing me of this opportunity to be touched by the sorrow and the grief of this moment. But isn't it funny how the world has taught and trained us to run away from grief? The world will tell you that things are already bad as it is. So don't, don't go looking to, towards grief. Run away from it as much as possible. Enjoy your life as much as you can. The world will tell you, just be happy. The world will tell you that grief is not good. The world will tell you not to crack them tears at the funeral because you've got to be strong for your family. You've got to hold it together for your loved ones. The world will tell you that it's weak to turn and face the sorrow. It's weak to turn and face grief. The world will do everything it can to tell you to get away from sorrow, get away from mourning. And yet Jesus turns things upside down and says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What do you do with that? In fact... In the Gospel of Luke, Luke shares the beatitude in a completely different way. Luke says, "Woe to you who laugh now, because you're going to be mourning later." And so it begs the question, if the beatitudes is all about how we're supposed to be now that we're part of the kingdom, what does it mean when Jesus says, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted?" We're going to look at three words that are going to help us understand what Jesus is saying. Number 1, blessed The word blessed in the Greek language is makarios. Now, the Greeks used to call this country called Cyprus, hemakaria, which means the happy isle. They called it hemakaria because they believed that Cyprus was so beautiful, so rich, so fertile. They believed that Cyprus had everything that you ever needed, that when you went there, no man ever needed to go beyond the coastline to find the perfect life. Cyprus was the epitome of perfect, happy life. The climate was perfect, the flowers were perfect, the fruits were perfect, the trees were perfect, the minerals you found there were perfect, and all of the natural resources in Cyprus, they were perfect. In other words, the Greeks believed that Cyprus was so perfect that it contained within itself all of the materials for perfect happiness. The word makarios is the word used to describe then the kind of joy that, it's, that has its secret within itself. It's a joy that is absolutely self-contained. It's a joy that's absolutely serene. It's a joy that is completely independent of external circumstances. It's a joy that's not affected by the changes of life. You see, the world will tell you that driving the latest car is hashtag blessed. They will tell you that, that uh, fame and fortune is hashtag blessed. They will try to tell you that being filthy rich is hashtag blessed. They will try to tell you that having a tiny waistline and abs for days is hashtag blessed. They will try to tell you that material possessions is the key to being hashtag blessed. And so what do you do then when all all of those things are gone? It's not bad to have money, but if being blessed is determined by how much money you've got in the bank, what does it mean then to have none? If being blessed is determined by how many Instagram followers I've got, then what does it mean if I don't have no followers? If being blessed is being determined by how big of a house you might have, what does it mean when you don't have a house no more? You see, the word blessed has no, no word like it in the English language. We try to say that worldly like, happiness is the same as blessed, but happiness comes from the root word hap, which means chance. Happiness is dependent on chance. Being blessed is not. Happiness is something that changes with life circumstances. Being blessed does not. Happiness is often based on possession, but being blessed is is based on your position. To be truly blessed is to be in a state of joy that is absolutely untouchable. It's the kind of joy that seeks us through our pain. It's the kind of joy that sorrow and grief are powerless to touch. It's the kind of joy that will shine through tears. It's the kind of joy that nothing in life or even death can ever take away. Let me ask you today, where in your life have you settled for the world's version of blessed? Where in your life have you become okay with the world's version of blessed? You need to know today that to settle for the world's version of blessed is to settle for disappointment. To settle for the world's version of blessed is to settle for that which will fade away. To settle for the world's version of blessed is to settle for less than what you were created for. Because a change in future, the failure of a plan, sickness and illness, disappointment, redundancy, even the change in the weather, all of these things can easily snatch away the world's version of being blessed. But available to every believer, every disciple of Jesus is this unspeakable joy that comes from walking in the company and presence of Jesus. Number two, mourn. In the English dictionary, the word mourn is defined as the feeling or expression of sorrow for the death of someone. In the Greek, mourn is the word pentheon. There are two incredibly significant things about this word. Firstly, pentheon is the strongest word for mourning in the Greek language. Pentheon in the Greek is used in instances of mourning the dead or for one who was as if they were dead. For example, Jacob mourning um, his son Joseph, who wasn't dead, but he thought he was dead. That is mourning to the highest degree. Or David mourning the death of his son Absalom, who was tra- tragically uh, killed. That is mourning to the highest degree. There is no stronger word for mourning in the Greek language than pentheon. Secondly, Pentheon is also the word that is used to describe the kind of mourning that can't be hidden. Pentheon doesn't just describe the grief that brings an ache to the heart, but it also describes the grief that brings tears to the eyes. Pentheon is used to describe the sorrow that cannot be concealed. You see, Beatitude number two flows on from Beatitude number one beatitude number one says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is a the kingdom of heaven beatitude number two says blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted beatitude number two is the response of the person who has come to the realization of beatitude number one it's one thing to be poor in spirit and acknowledge it it's another thing to grieve and mourn over it having realized that i am poor in spirit having realized that I can't save myself and therefore need saving, having realized that I am nothing, having seen my utter sinfulness, my response to all of this is supposed to be mourning. Because as I confront God and as I confront the holiness of God, as I confront this life that I'm supposed to live, I see myself for who I truly am. I see my utter helplessness I see my utter hopelessness. I discover how poor in spirit I am. And so because of that, I mourn. I not only mourn because of the true estimate of my character and failings, I mourn for the things that I do. The kind of mourning that is as deep as mourning for the dead. The kind of mourning that looks to the cross and sees what sin can do the kind of mourning that is heartbroken because of what my sin does to God, the kind of mourning that realizes that the wages of my sin is eternal separation from God. What is your attitude towards sin? Do you truly mourn over your sins or do you deny your sins? Do you mourn over your sins or do you conceal them? To every single person who calls themselves A believer or a follower of Jesus, if we are going to reflect the King whose kingdom we are a part of, then our attitude to sin must be mourning. But I also hope that you realize what that means, church, because it means that our attitude towards the sin of others must also be mourning. Do you mourn over the sin of others? Do you mourn or do you criticize? Do you mourn or do you cast judgment? Do you mourn or do you condemn? He said, blessed are those who mourn. That isn't just the mourning of your own sin, but the sins of the world around you. And this mourning is not just a one-off action. The word mourning in the text is used in present text and it indicates that mourning is meant to be a continual state or simply part of one's lifestyle. In other words, mourning is not just an isolated or limited act but a continual part of the disciple's life. The word Pentheon tells us that we have not even begun on the Christian way until we take sin with such seriousness that our sorrow for it is like the mourning of one who mourns for the dead. Number three, comforted. Comforted in the Greek in the, is the word parakaleo. Literally translated, it means to call to one's side. It's the idea of someone coming to the aid of another person. But this particular word is so rich in meaning that the Greek have five different uses like or, or, or descriptions of it. Number one, it means to rekindle a flame. Parakaleo is the picture of someone gently and patiently blowing on the dying embers to bring a fire back to life again. It meant to call for comfort. Paracaleo is also the picture of a little child who was calling for their father for assurance and comfort in the middle of the night. It meant to call a physician. Parakaleo is also the picture of an injured person who was calling for a doctor, a physician, to bind up their wounds and heal their broken bones. It meant to stabilize military troops. Parakaleo is a picture of a military officer who, in the middle of a battle, would calmly encourage and steady the frightened troops in his rank. It meant to plead one's case. Parakaleo is this picture of the counsel for the defense making an appeal before the judge on behalf of their client. All of these descriptions, they paint the, the, the picture of a subject receiving aid outside of themselves. It means that my being comforted is not of my own doing. I can't explain how it happens. I don't know why it works, but all I know is that in my morning, I'm comforted. In my mourning over my sin, I'm immediately comforted because I have a Savior who died for my sins. In my mourning over my departure from Christ, I'm immediately comforted by the assurance that He's faithful and just to forgive all of my sins. In my mourning under God's divine discipline, I'm comforted by the promise that afterward, It will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. In this tent, I groan and I am being burdened, but I'm comforted by the fact that mortality will soon be swallowed up by life. I mourn over the world that I live in as it continues to move towards its end, but I'm comforted in that there is a day coming where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death. There'll be no more crying. There's gonna be no more pain. And so everything that Jesus ever did for the disciples back then, He is doing for me today through the Holy Spirit. He is still breathing on the dying embers of your soul and bringing it back to life. He's still comforting you as you walk through the night. He's still the physician who is healing you and binding up your wounds. He is still bringing you peace in the midst of the storm. He is still helping you to stand even when you feel like you can't. And he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If I can ask the keys to join me, You may be asking the question right now, how could it be possible for someone to be comforted in the midst of mourning? You see, in the vernacular of first century Judaism, the rabbi or the teacher would always sit down when they get ready to teach. And you would often see this term all throughout the Bible, where Jesus sat down and he taught. Jesus sat and he taught. Whenever the rabbi or the teacher would read from the scriptures, they would stand. But when they got ready to teach, they would sit. And so they would stand when they read from the scriptures, but but they would sit when they began to give an exposition of what was being read. And we get to this point, we get to Matthew chapter 5. And at this point, Jesus has been baptized already. He's been tested in the wilderness He's now doing public ministry and he's going around around preaching, you know, repent now and be saved. The kingdom of heaven is near. He starts to select a few disciples to follow him. He is doing miracle signs and wonders. He's starting to build up quite a large following. And the Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Jesus, having seen the multitudes, he went up on a mountain and when he was seated, that means he's about to give you an exposition. He's about to teach you. He's about to reveal something important to you. When he was seated, the disciples came to him. Everybody who would have seen Jesus sit down would have been aware that this teacher was about to share something important. This guy was about to give some sort of an exposition. And the Bible says that when he got ready to sit, the disciples came to him. The disciples came to Jesus the disciples knew that when jesus was getting ready to sit it was time to get up and get close to where he was to every single person who calls themselves a follower and a disciple of jesus in the room this morning you're not going to be effective as a disciple if the only way that you are if the only learning that you are doing is from the back where all the the multitudes are it's time to get up close it's time to get to where jesus is it's time to let him into the chambers of your heart. It's time to surrender for real. It's time to lay your life at his feet and say, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. If you are done with trying to find comfort in your job, your finances, ooh. <laughs> if you are done with trying to find Comfort, I'm glad that drum went off because it got a bit <clears throat> in the room. If you're done with trying to find comfort in your job, if you're done with trying to find comfort in your finances, in your relationships and in your possessions, I came to let you know this morning that God's promise of comfort is still available to you today through the person of Jesus. But you need to respond the same way that the disciples did and come to Jesus. You cannot be comforted in the midst of mourning outside of Jesus because Jesus is the one who has come to comfort all who mourn, to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He has come to give the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. With every eye closed this morning and every head bowed, God, we thank you for your word. We honor you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts this morning. Father, I pray that you would continue to do a work in our hearts, oh God. Lord, may we be a, be a people who are marked, A mourning over our sin, oh God, that leads to repentance. So we thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. You know, we um, never like to close our service without giving people an opportunity uh, to come close to Jesus. And so, with every eye closed and every head bowed, uh, if you're in this place today and you know that your next step is to come a step closer. To the teacher if you know that your next step is to come closer to Jesus then in a moment I'm going to give you an opportunity because the truth is that the comfort that Don is speaking about was not just available thousands of years ago to the teacher to the disciples who were close to the teacher then that comfort is available to the disciples who walk closely with the teacher now And so if you're in this place today and you're like, man, I have let my sin and I have let my shame send me walking in the other direction, I'm here to tell you that the teacher is saying, take a step closer to me because comfort is here for you the moment you give your life to me. And so if you're in this place and you're, you have let what you've been through send you running. But today you're saying, I hear the call of the teacher. I hear the call of Jesus to come close. What I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And I want you to think about that decision. And if that's you, if you're saying, yes, today I respond and I choose to come close. At the end of that count to three, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, raise your hand. Saying today I choose to come close. Thank you, God bless you, I see that hand. Awesome. Thank you, God bless you, I see that hand. Thank you, God bless you, I see that hand. Thank you, God bless you, I see that hand. Thank you, God bless you, I see that hand. Thank you, God bless you, I see that hand. hand. Is there anyone else today? Awesome. Church, could you repeat this prayer after me? Say, so, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a saviour. Today, I give my life to Jesus, holding nothing back. I turn from sin. I follow you. Thanks to you, I'm free. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Amen.